of the Spirit. And just to give a little context for what we're going to be talking about today, I want to take a little step back to last week where we began to address this idea of the Holy Spirit and who He is and who and what He is not. And one of the things we talked about and we considered is that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. He's not a wind. He's not just a power. He's not a wisp or a ghost. He's a, a, the third member of the tr Trinity. And so he is his own distinct person with his own distinct expression and activity. And so I hear people say sometimes, uh, I was in the spirit and it told me. And I'm like, I wouldn't like you calling me an it. If you call me an it, that's not complimentary. But it's uh, to call the Holy Spirit an it or a ghost or a wisp or a wind or a force is missing the mark because he is a divine person, his own distinct person. One of the other things we found out is we just looked kind of a cursory glance of, of the Holy Spirit. He was in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, the Bible starts with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the surface of the deep, and the Holy Spirit was there. But no creative work happened until God said, let there be light. The minute God said, let there be light, then there was a complete union of activity between God the Father, God the Word, and God the Spirit, all three people in complete unity, in complete agreement, accomplishing God's purpose. We find the Holy Spirit present through the Old Testament. We find the Holy Spirit even more present and even more explained, let me say, in the New Testament. And in the next to the last verse of the book of Revelation, we find the words, the Spirit and the Bride call out. And so we find Holy Spirit present from start to finish, and that was kind of our focus last week. The other kind of little explanation that was offered was one of the na names are important. Names are descriptive often of nature. And one of Jesus' names is the Word, the Word of God, because He, in heart and intent, wants to carry out all that God is thinking, all that God is saying. He wants to make known. That's what a word is. A word is the making known of something you wouldn't find out otherwise. You wouldn't know what I'm thinking until I say it to you. So a word is a, is a making known and a carrying forth, and that's certainly what Jesus did. Jesus made known in every way possible what God is like, what God is doing, what God is planning. And so Jesus, in every way, in the life he lived and the words he spoke, he was a carrying out of, this is what God's word is. Well, in the same way, Holy Spirit is the one, he is the divine person who carries out the activity, who executes the will and purpose of God with the intent of heart that God wants it. 
And it's, it was a tricky thing. It's still a tricky thing to say, Holy Spirit carries out the will of God in the spirit God intended it. So I hate using the word spirit to define spirit, but hopefully you get it. That when Holy Spirit does something, he's doing it with the intent of heart. He's doing it the, not just what God wants, but the way he wants it done. With zeal, you know, we find out a number of things that the Holy Spirit is jealous for us because, he's, because God the Father is jealous for us. We also find complete agreement in the activity of God. That Jesus, for 30 years, he lived, walked among men. He was a carpenter. He was actually a craftsman. But for 30 years, he did no public miracle. Now, he was walking with God. You don't live sin-free for 30 years without being in touch with God. But he had done nothing publicly. His public ministry started with his baptism in the river by his cousin John, and then the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. So his, holy, his ministry started with the Holy Spirit coming. Um, we find that Holy Spirit's intent of heart is to glorify Jesus. So everything he does is to glorify Jesus. And John chapter 16 says, he only speaks what he hears the Father speak. That's reminiscent of Jesus' words. So in all of these things, we find that Holy Spirit is not a lone ranger. In fact, his name, the Holy Spirit, might imply, I only want you to think one thing about me. I only carry out the spirit God wants me to. I only execute things in God's spirit. It's almost a sign of what I would call complete humility. To take no other name for himself other than I execute God's purpose the way he wants it done. That's all you need to know about me. And that, I think, is a marvel. Because uh, the other thing we'll find is Holy Spirit only operates through humility. And it's what he's producing in us. Um, so that's a little recap of where we, uh, where we journeyed last week. So we're talking about God the Holy Spirit as a divine person. Um, if we could have the first two scriptures that we're going to start with this morning. As Michael ministered to us this morning, we are going to look at the Holy Spirit in the Older Testament and the Newer. And so let's just start with um, the Older Testament. And this is in... Uh, 1 Kings, and let me see where it is in 1 Kings. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, verses 13 and 14. 1 Samuel, what did I say? 16? 16, 13 to 14. This is Samuel the prophet. He's come to the city of um, Jesse, the city where Jesse lives. Jesse has a bunch of sons, and the Lord has told Samuel, I want you to go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse as king. And Samuel, being a prophet, came and he looked at all the sons of Jesse, and they were, some of them were good-looking, big, strong, strapping, attractive men. And each one, Samuel would look at the, the son of Jesse and say, it, it's got to be this guy. And the Lord would say, no, I have not chosen him. And he would go to the next guy and be like, it's got to be him. And finally, he got to the end of the line, and God said, I've chosen none of these sons. So he went to Jesse, and he said, do you, do you got anybody else? And Jesse said, in essence, 
Yeah, we have one scrawny kid left, but he's out watching the sheep. And Samuel said, we do nothing. We have no feast. There was going to be a feast. We don't do anything until you bring him to me. And when he saw David, who was ruddy, who was attractive, he'd been out in the sun, but he wasn't the image of some of his brothers. When, Jesse, or when Samuel saw David, the Lord said, this is the one I've chosen. Anoint him. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, which is always a symbol. It's always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went back home to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Okay, let's just, just for a quick summary... When Samuel anointed David with oil, the Holy Spirit left Saul the king and came to David the shepherd boy. He didn't stay on Saul and David. Things were different in the Older Testament. Okay, New Testament. Uh, the next scripture we'll read is from Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Um, the disciples had been gathered together and as they were praying and as they were gathered together, a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the place where they were gathering and tongues as a fire distributed themselves upon each one of their head and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving utterance. And there was such a clamor because it was a feast day and there were many outsiders who had traveled to Jerusalem to be there. They all came running to see what's going on at this house. And when they got there, they saw all these people speaking with other tongues, some of them speaking in languages they understood. And they said, these guys have to be drunk. But Peter took his stand and said, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, brethren. These guys aren't drunk. And, this, and Peter gives explanation for what was happening. But Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And this is the prophecy that Joel gave in the Old, Older Testament. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women... I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. The title of today's message is called Something New because everything we're going to be addressing today is we're going to take a quick look at Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and then we're going to say, look at what's new. And in many cases, what was so new historically that we might take for granted because it's all we've ever known. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we just want to commit this meeting to you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our midst. We ask you to do what only you can do. Write truth on our heart. Open ears. Fill people with your Holy Spirit this day. We welcome the work of Jesus and the fact that he has made this possible. Open our eyes to this newness and to the glory of what Jesus has done. May you be glorified in this message May you be glorified in this people as they go forth from here today. 
We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I could just real quick, I'm asking Whitney to use quick fingers today. We're just going to look at some samplings of references to the Holy Spirit in the Older Testament and how the Holy Spirit interacted with men. We know Holy Spirit was involved with creation, but I just want to take some select samplings of Holy Spirit manifesting in men, with men. What did it look like in the Older Testament? So if we could look at um, Exodus chapter 30, what is it? Exodus chapter 31. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called, my, I have called by my name Bezalel. I'm sure he'll be happy with how I pronounced his name. It rolls off my lips. The son of Uri, the son of Hur, the, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of, say the word with me, craftsmanship. That's different. To make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. So the spirit of the Lord, oh, so thank you. You're quicker than me and you're right on the money. So we have this man, Bezalel, who God said, I filled him with the spirit of God in skill, wisdom, and craftsmanship. Make me think, I thought of Morgan. I thought she's a woodworker, she's doing. This is a manifestation. This is one of the ways that Holy Spirit can manifest with men. Okay, next, we have Gideon. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and the Abyssalites were called together to follow him. Uh, just came upon him. Next. Samson was, I, I know we, we probably have pictures of him with muscles, but I don't know that that is necessarily accurate. He's just very strong when the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And in this case, he was going to a village named Timnah, which means inheritance. He was going for his inheritance, and a lion stood in its way, in his way. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him, the lion, as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So far we have the Holy Spirit just coming upon Gideon, giving supernatural strength to Samson, filling Bezalel with the spirit of craftsmanship and artistry. Uh, the next one. Elijah was a prophet of God, and if, just to give you a, just a real quick background, typically in the Old Testament, if somebody was recognized as a prophet of God, they were also recognized as be, being people who had the Spirit of God, because only the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, one of the marks was they prophesy, they know things they can't know. And Elijah was recognized uh, for many reasons as a prophet of God who had the Spirit of God. And so on, on one case, a, a foreign enemy had sent a captain with 50 of his soldiers to take Elijah and bring him captive to this king. Because Elijah would sometimes tell the kings in Israel what this guy was doing. And so uh, the captain of the 50 came to Elijah as Elijah sat on a hilltop under 
under a tree, and he said, hey, man of God, come down here. And Elijah said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Be careful what you say to a man of God. You may want to order, not order a man of God around. Now this happened again, and the same thing happened. The third captain of 50, when he came, he got on his knees and he begged for mercy. He said, I know that if I come for you, you're going to call fire down on my men, and I don't want that to happen. So the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, you can go with this guy. He has the right heart. Okay, Holy Spirit manifest in a miraculous way. We also have a, an example of uh, Elijah calling down fire on a sacrifice before the prophets of Baal. There was a duel between gods and the prophets of Baal were going to um, sacrifice to their God. And so I, Elijah said, okay, let the God who answers by fire, let him be the true God. And the prophets of Baal jumped and cut themselves and yipped and yapped and nothing happened. Elijah took his sacrifice, split it, covered it with wood, water, covered it with water, covered it with water, soaked it, soaked it, soaked it, prayed to the Lord, fire came down, consumed the sacrifice, licked up all the water, and everybody bowed. So, we're starting to get a picture of Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is pretty dynamic. One of Elijah's followers, apprentices, disciples, was named Elisha. And when it came time for Elijah, when everybody knew Elijah was going to be leaving this earth, Elisha followed him everywhere he went, wouldn't let him go. Wouldn't, Elijah kept saying, no, stay here, I need to go. And Elisha said, I am not leaving you, I'm not leaving you, I'm not leaving you. And finally, Elijah went on his departure tour, and he went to all the cities and said goodbye to all his disciples. Finally, he went to the River Jordan. He took his mantle, Elijah did. He slapped the water. The water divided. Elijah and Elisha walked through the Jordan River on dry ground. The chariots of fire came for Elijah to take him away. He's one of the few people in the Bible that did not die a human death. And he asked his servant, Elisha, he said, what do you want me to do for you before I go? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And here's where we have this idea of Holy Spirit being passed from Elijah to Elisha. One of the first things Elisha did when he left, when Elijah was taken in the chariots of fire, he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? This is Elisha saying, where's Elijah's God? You should be on me now. And when he also had struck the waters of the Jordan, they were divided here and there, and Elijah, Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Do we have one more? Oh, oh, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop with that one. Let me just summarize what we've seen in the Old Testament thus far. We have the Holy Spirit manifesting as power in dynamic ways 
On one occasion, uh, Elijah outran the chariots of God. He actually, uh, Ahab the king, left with his chariots. A, uh, Elijah outran them. So we have these kinds of manifestations in the Older Testament, things that Holy Spirit did, supernatural strength, uh, supernatural running, supernatural craftsmanship. Uh, the prophets had divine visions. They saw the future or they saw what was happening privately. Uh, one of the complaints by the enemies of Israel about Elijah is he sees what we speak in secret and he betrays our plans to the king of Israel. But if you go to get him, the spirit of the Lord will whisk him off and take him somewhere else supernaturally. So their thought was this guy is a troublemaker. He's hard to deal with. Uh, Ezekiel had wild encounters with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit would, sometimes the, the term is used, this person was filled with the Holy Spirit. In the case of Joshua, the scripture says Joshua was filled with the Holy Spirit for Moses had laid his hands on him. He was filled with the spirit of wisdom, that's what it said. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So we have these, these ideas in the Old Older Testament. Sometimes the Older Testament would say the Holy Spirit came upon him, or in David's case, rushed upon him. In Zedoika, the priest's case, it says the Spirit came on him like clothing. And that is listed several times. The Holy Spirit would come on a person as clothing. Almost like you would think they would physically feel it. A number of things to note. These encounters with the Holy Spirit were often temporary. They were isolated, one person here or one person there. If Saul, the king, had the Holy Spirit, when God was ready to anoint David, the Spirit would leave Saul and go to David. This is pretty common in the Older Testament that the Holy Spirit was not defined as a him, more like an it, Temporary, and I only know of men referenced in the Older Testament who, were, who came under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that is, you know what, that isn't the case because I just remember there was a woman who was recognized as a prophetess. And on one case, Samuel, or uh, Saul, uh, Saul, I think, went to uh, get her opinion. But so the minority, the extreme minority, of cases in the Older Testament of the Holy Spirit interacting with men was largely men, not commonly with women. But then we come to the New Testament and there begins to be some, oh, let me, uh, I'm going to skip uh, the Moses verse about, uh, all I was going to say was prophecy was often a typical sign of somebody having the Holy Spirit. I know in this day and age, prophecy is sometimes we don't know, or you're just making it up, or you, they didn't try to make it up in the Older Testament. There were consequences for somebody being a false prophet. You didn't just walk around and stand up if you had a goosebump and say, thus saith the Lord. Um, in the Older Testament, if you prophesied, you were watched. And if it didn't come about, 
you were labeled, some cases killed. And sometimes, even if you prophesied something, if you prophesied to depart from God or deviate from his ways, even if what you said came to pass, you were still stoned. Because even though the miracle happened, you had counseled through your prophecy people to leave God, to leave his way, to depart from his way. And that was considered a terrible, terrible, dangerous thing. And so we're pretty free in our culture in America to stand up and offer, you know, our thus saith the Lord's. It was not that way in the Older Testament. There was a severity and you did it upon penalty and the people that were acknowledged as prophets of the Lord were evidenced by support from God. So prophecy in the Older Testament was a mark of, that's a person who has the spirit of God. They prophesy. In one case, Moses was told by God, I'm gonna take of the spirit that is upon you and I'm gonna take some of that spirit and put it on 70 of the elders. And when he did that, 70 of the elders prophesied. Two of them happened to be not present, but in the camp and they just started prophesying. But that only happened once and it never happened again. God took his spirit, a portion of the spirit from Moses and put it on others to evidence this is what I'm doing. These are people I'm setting my approval on. So that's kind of the Old Testament in a very rushed, I acknowledge, a very rushed overview and summarization. But just so you can get an idea of in the Older Testament, they did not talk about Holy Spirit the way we do now. There was not the understanding, and they didn't even call Holy Spirit a hymn. It was more treated like an it. But now let's consider the New Testament. Some things begin to happen in the New Testament. Uh, for 400 years, historically, for 400 years, there had been no word from the Lord. No public word from the Lord. No prophecy, no prophet. That's a long time of God being quiet. And all of a sudden, God visits John the Baptist's father through an angel and this little unknown girl named Mary through an angel of the Lord and said, get ready. Strap on your seatbelts. No, he did not say that. But in essence, he told John the Baptist's father, your son is going to be baptized. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. That's new. And for anybody who thinks a baby in the womb is not a baby, it's a baby. It's a person. They can be filled with the Holy Spirit from their mother's womb. Amazing. Incredible. Mary conceives through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is new, really new. And then we have this John the Baptist who's filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, Jesus' cousin, when Mary comes in to meet her cousin Elizabeth and they're both pregnant, John the Baptist in the womb leaps in the womb at the presence of Jesus in Mary's womb. Amazing. That's, that's not the point of the story. It's just amazing little things that we begin to see. But, but the language begins to change. And if we can have the, 
the verse from Mark chapter 1, please. John the Baptist, many years later, when Jesus was 30, and so John would have been 31, he was baptizing people in the river, and he was recognized as a wild man and as a prophet of God. He ate honey and locusts, and he dressed with a camel hair garb. He called it like it was. He didn't hold back, but people were flocking to him to be baptized to a baptism in the river as a baptism of repentance. When Jesus came to his cousin John, John the Baptist said, I need to be, what are you doing here? I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, let's just do this for righteousness sake, it's right. But when Jesus got out of the water, John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God. He, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is brand new. This isn't even language they understood. I have time for this. Shared it with my wife and she thought it was so cool. The word baptize in, in the Greek, there's two words, baptizo and bapto. Bapto, they both mean to dip. But bapto means dip and pull out. Baptizo is the word used for sinking a ship or immersing or overwhelming. It's what they often used for if a ship was sunk in battle. It was baptizo. It went under. The word John the Baptist uses the word baptizo. You are going to be sunk, overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. There was a Greek um, poet named Nico. And he, he gave an explanation on how to pickle things. And in his pickling, he used the two words. And that's why I'm giving you explanation. He said, when you make a pickle, you take the vegetable and you bapto it into the water. And then you baptizo it into the vinegar. The bapto is a temporary quick dip. Baptizo changes its very nature. You stick that pickle, you stick that zucchini or whatever, cucumber, you stick it in the vinegar and it stays until it's changed. So what John the Baptist is saying, he's announcing something that is never before. You think that's cool, pickles? I love it. I love anything that helps me understand a little more words that I can take for granted sometimes. What John the Baptist was saying is this one, look at him, He's going to immerse you and change you. You are going to be changed when he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. And they never even heard of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we know that at the start of Jesus' public ministry, the Holy Spirit came upon him. When he came up out of the waters after John had baptized him, the Holy Spirit came upon him as a dove. And from that point on, Jesus began to do things publicly, working miracles, showing forth the will of God all the way to the cross and then his resurrection. If we could have the, uh, the verse in Acts chapter 10, please. This is just an acknowledgement of what was happening with Jesus. That Jesus was working in tandem with the Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit was working in tandem with Jesus to carry out the will of their Father, the will and purpose of God the Father. And, and uh, Luke writes this in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, 
how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So this is Holy Spirit manifesting something in Jesus, showing us something about God's heart, God's will, God's purpose. And then Jesus begins to talk. Can we have the next verse? Um, then the next one. We have language like this, Jesus saying things that are new, that are novel, that are shocking, that people don't know how to understand what he's even saying. And in John 7, chapter 37, Jesus cries out in the middle of the, one of the largest, most celebratory feasts that Israel held. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. How audacious. How proud of you to say something like this in our midst, the Pharisees would have said. But Jesus went on, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This is for anybody who believes, shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit, this is new, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So just for a minute, think, if the Holy Spirit wasn't given yet to man, to men in general. This is an announcement to everybody, to whoever will believe. You're going to be a fount of God the Holy Spirit. But this he spoke of Holy Spirit who wasn't given yet. Why? Jesus wasn't glorified yet. So when Holy Spirit is given, that's an announcement Jesus is being glorified by this. This is a mark of Jesus having done something off the charts, unparalleled. All right? Still with me? No falling asleep yet? Uh, next, next scripture. Here is where Jesus begins to explain, I'm going to send you a helper and he. I'm going to send you a comforter and he. And he will help you. And he will... It's an introduction Jesus is making. Meet Holy Spirit. Up until this point, he has been an it, a power, a force, a wind, a dove. But I'm telling you, he's a him. And I'm going to send you another helper to be with you. So Jesus is calling him, in this case, this helper that is the spirit of truth in John chapter, I'm so disorganized today in my scriptures. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 17. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be, say the word please, in unparalleled, brand new. In the Older Testament, Holy Spirit would come upon but they were never said he will come to reside in you. He will become in you a river of living water. This is new. Jesus is about to announce, this is what I came to accomplish. Uh, the next scripture, please. Now, let me just summarize all that we've said um, because earlier we read that on the day of Pentecost, 
the Holy Spirit came upon all who were present and Peter stood up and I, it's very important when scripture explains scripture. That is reliable. When Peter stands up and says, this is, what, this is a fulfillment of what Joel said, or Joel, that's reliable. That's reliable to say, okay, Pentecost was the confirmation and the fulfillment of the prophecy Joel made in which in that day, this day that following Jesus' accomplishment, his crucifixion and his resurrection, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just men, not just people of stature. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's one of the marks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, one of the recognized. But wait a minute, sons and daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Age isn't an issue now. And even upon your servants, your male servants, your female servants, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. What Jesus, or what Peter is announcing through this prophecy of Joel being fulfilled is everything's changed. Through what Jesus has done, Holy Spirit is now available to everyone, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of stature. The Holy Spirit speaking through my wife, the Holy Spirit speaking through Zoe, the Holy Spirit speaking through anybody present is the Holy Spirit. There's not a girl Holy Spirit and a boy Holy Spirit. If somebody is speaking by the Holy Spirit, I recommend listening. Holy Spirit, uh, the prophecy of Joel is saying, there's going to come a time where everything's going to change. And the Holy Spirit, who once was only for a few here and there, only for a few certain things, I'm going to pour out on all flesh. Sons, daughters, old men, young men, servants, And we find out Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit is as a result of Jesus being announced, Peter says, as both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, who's Lord and Christ, has poured out. What he's done has made people fit as vessels for the Holy Spirit. It's so brand new. Paul writes this as we close today. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? The hard part about all of this is it's, it's, it can be so familiar and so religious that we can lose track of what's being said. Because for hundreds and hundreds of years, the temple of God was a building. It was made of stone. The presence of God was always acknowledged as that's what makes the temple the temple. The temple is the temple because the presence of God is there in the Holy of Holies. And after Jesus' incredible victory at the cross, his rescue of mankind, 
Him taking upon himself all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shortcomings, and offering himself as the perfect sacrifice, dying on the cross, and being raised as a testament of God's approval, and even that was by the Spirit. Romans says, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he'll also give life to your mortal body. But now the New Testament comes, comes along, and along with the, the revelation that Paul received, he begins to say, hey, guess what? That building is not the temple anymore. You are the temple. God himself lives in you. Think about it for a minute. Why was God not afraid to leave you here? This is a terrible place. Crime is rampant. Pain is rampant. Sometimes it just seems like indiscriminate. Wars, hungers. Wouldn't you think the minute you were, oh, I forgot one, born of the Spirit. Jesus began to speak of this in John chapter 3. You're going to be born again of the Spirit. And Nicodemus, the Pharisee, said, what? How can I be born a second time? And Jesus said, this is a work of the Spirit. So, this accomplishment that Jesus has done has made it so that the Holy Spirit who... What, oh, sorry, D disjointed thoughts. Why, was not God a, why wasn't God afraid to leave you here? Why, when you were born again, didn't he just take us? Because he has a work for us to do, and he thinks it's to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit. You know, didn't Michael tell us this morning? He is the same. The same Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is the same Holy Spirit in the New Testament. If Ahab could outrun a horse, what about you? If Samson was in physical danger and the Holy Spirit rushed upon him and he eliminated that danger, can't he do that for you? A personal friend of mine uh, named Pammy was being assaulted by a guy in, her, in his car. He said he was going to take her home from a party. He didn't take her home. He'd take her to a side road and began to assault her. She said all she knew, she was a baby, baby believer, just born again. She cried out to the Lord and she said, oh my God. It was her cry. It wasn't like, oh my God. It was like, I'm calling you. The car began to shake back and forth, although nobody could see it. It was as if someone took his hands and plopped them on the steering wheel. He began to cry and he said, I believe in that stuff, man. I believe in that stuff. He drove her straight home. Let me preface this by saying, my brother had told me this guy who we all knew had assaulted Pammy. And so I, with no other details, I'm like, I prayed real hard. I'm like, okay, I'm going to call her Pammy and I'm going to try to comfort her. And I'm going to just, when I called her, she said, you should have been there. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was such a shock. It really was just such a shock because she was such a new believer. But I just said, I said, if you ever get in trouble, use the name of Jesus. 
I didn't know what I was saying either. I just read books and in the name of Jesus. Well, what she did, she cried out to God and God defended her. Rocked the car, took her hands, get your hands off my little girl. Took her straight home. Her result was, it was amazing. Because her focus was not on the attack. Her focus was on, I was rescued by the living God. That is our God. Samson displayed supernatural strength by the Holy Spirit. Elijah, miracles, called fire down. Paul, called blindness down. One time out, I work at a gas station, and about 11 o'clock, they always say, watch for robbers, you know, because you're getting your money. And one night, a summer night, all these boys, teenage boys on bikes, kind of congregated at the end of my little thing there at the gas station. And I was going to have to be closing pretty soon, and I don't carry money, but I'm like, all right, this is unusual. You know, four or five boys, teenage boys. I used to work with juvenile delinquents. I know what a teenage boy can do. So we have these windshield washer squeegees, and the handles are quite sturdy. So I got myself a handle and I got it all ready. And I heard, it was as if I heard the Lord so clearly say, what in the world are you doing? And in the moment, I remembered Paul called blindness down. He said, you have completely forgotten that you are not alone. And I was so, I mean, nobody saw it, but I was so caught in my fleshly reaction to, I'm, if these boys come, I'm going to, my windshield wiper my washer fluid handle. It's like the time I went after the bat with a feather duster, but that is another story. My point is, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God who split water can split water. The God who multiplied oil can multiply oil. The God who would take Ezekiel or Elijah and take them 20 miles away, also did it to Philip in the New Testament, can do it to you and me. I think we forget the honor and the glory of what has happened with our religion. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to replace glory with religion and rote and just remembering something and, oh, you have the Holy Spirit. You have. Wait, let's think about what you're saying. What Jesus has done is so amazing that you individually are a temple of God. You have a river in you that is able to affect every other thing in your life. We just got to have, we just need to figure out how do we open the river. Its presence isn't in question. I just need to learn how to yield, how to let his spirit affect and water my situation, whether it's protection needed or provision or supply or help or healing. There's going to be a lot of overlap in this message. So we're going to repeat some of these things, but I would pray this morning that your consideration for the week. You know what? I, the other thing I loved, I loved when Michael ministered today that he remembered the instruction we were given last year to tell Jesus who he is to us. Because we don't do this for entertainment. Okay, message over. Michael relayed to us, I did my homework. This week I was remembering. I didn't just do it Sunday. I took it as an instruction for me to practice. That is very, very important. Because Jesus always gives people to, something to do. And in the obedience is where he meets us. In the practice is where he meets us, and that's where we grow. So, thank you, Michael, for your ministry. More than just in music this morning, you and Lauren, but your verbal ministry was um, 
more, more than just nice words. This week, consider who lives in you. It is the same Holy Spirit from the Older Testament. And the things he did then, he still can do now because he is unchanging. God is not afraid for us because who he's given us. He's given us the one that can solve anything we're in, miraculously and powerfully. Think about that, and we'll get together next week.